0: Hey guys, I am Stephanie Goss and this is another episode of the Uncharted podcast. So this week on the podcast, Andy and I are tackling a topic that is um, very near to my heart because I experienced this over the last few years here in Washington, which is rising minimum wage. So we got a letter from a friend who is in California where the minimum wage is headed towards $15 an hour. And they saw a sign up at their local McDonald's that they are starting crew members at $15 an hour with a $500 sign on bonus. And so this friend sent us a, a note and there's more info coming up on the episode get started for you. But we're going to about what do we do when the minimum wage is starting to rise? Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? How do we handle it? Completely messing with our budgets and still try and provide for our team. So if this sounds like something you'd love to hear about, come join us. Let's get into it. And now the Uncharted Podcast.
1: And we are back. It's me, Dr. Andy Rourke, and Stephanie out competing McDonald's boss.
0: <laughs> I don't think that's actually a, a song lyric.
1: My show friend. that is not show that clown <laughs> who's boss. I, there's not a lot of songs about minimum wage. Uh, I have to go deep in the country song <laughs> vault. Yeah, that's, uh, that's true. Deep in the, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. How's it going? Oh man. It's good. We just um finished up the um oh my gosh. Uh my brain is complete mush right now. We just finished up our how to motivate people who don't want to be motivated workshop and it was great. And yeah. man, it was super engaging and just the group was fantastic and I just I was so hyped up coming out of there. Um but yeah. now I'm having like a letdown. I have to get back up. I'm like, "Oh, That was so awesome. It was just (laughs) such a great group and they were really into it and they were really doing great stuff. So anyway, that's right up. Tomorrow is uh, when we're recording this, it will be it will be already be passed. Uh, It'll be out when people listen to it. But um, the Charming the Angry Client course on Dr. dot com launches tomorrow. And it is man, that has been a ton of work. That was a covid project. Trying to make awesome staff training for handling angry and complaining clients, and I gave it. I gave him the best shot. <laughs> I'm
0: super. Ex- I'm super excited um, for this one because this is something you and I have been talking about for a long time. Which is how do we, um, how do we help managers who don't have the skill set, don't have the time, or a combination of the two? Like how do we help them with some of the the soft skills for staff training? And uh, this one is. Totally practical in the exam room, and yeah. um, it also has practical uses in terms of team, you know, discussion and communication. And so I'm super excited to see what happens, and I'm I'm hoping that everybody loves it because it uh, it's it's awesome.
1: Well, it's I'm excited to hear the feedback. It's um I really went for flexibility and yeah. really tried to break it up so you can do it as an hour meeting or you can do it. 10 minutes at the end of your meetings for the next six months and you can move all the way through it and everything stands alone. Uh, and so, yeah, that's the, that's the thing. So head over to drandrework.com and check it out. Um, it will be on sale June 10th. And then, uh, the first month we're going to have a launch sale to get it up and get it going. So it'll be a hundred bucks off the first month. So that's, uh, that's what we're doing. So anyway, that's uh, man, that's big and exciting. So a lot of stuff going on. How about uh, how about you? Everything uh, rolling along over there this summer? Your kids were playing trivia through the bathroom door uh, down the <laughs> hall when we got on.
0: Yeah, thank God. That's uh, an Easter egg that we did not let Dustin find in the recording of this episode, because I'm sure it would have aired at the end of a podcast episode oh, yeah. if he had, because <laughs> uh, it was pretty, pretty priceless. Uh, but yes, they are... They are in their last week of school and um, it's pretty much freebie week. We've shifted into doing summer school work and, you know, they're just mostly having Zoom so that they can talk to their classmates. And um, so keeping them, keeping them busy has, has been a challenge. And my mom is coming up to visit for the weekend. And so they are super amped up. Like I fed them a handful of pixie sticks. And so, you know, it's, we'll, we'll, (laughs) we'll see how the rest of the day goes, but things are good. Things are good. For
1: those of you who um, do not have kids right now, uh, as the school year winds up, um, imagine the last week of school that you remember when you didn't do anything. Now imagine that you weren't even at school. That is how it is right now. (laughs) Like, it is the most useless thing. Like, I am sorry. I'm like, who are we kidding here? This is ridiculous, yeah, um yeah, my kids are like, "We can't start the summer because we've got we have a thirty minute zoom commitment, yep, every day. <laughs> and that's that's basically it. So anyway, that's that's been our life. let's um, uh, let's talk about this. i um yeah. I was excited to see this um come in the mail bag, and it really hit with uh, some other stuff that I've been talking about uh, and that people have been asking me about recently. so, yeah. Um, here's, so here's what we got, guys. Posting from California where minimum wage is heading to $15 an hour. Today, there were signs at McDonald's hiring at $15 an hour with a $500 sign-on bonus. Without jacking our prices sky high, we cannot compete. We are currently paying staff several dollars over minimum and will need to up it. Uh, to recognize skilled, trained people. This blows energy percentage benchmarks for staffing costs out of the water. Uh, If we raise prices to keep costs in line with percentage that industry experts keep saying we need to stay within, I fear pet care may become available only to the elite. While minimum wage is going up, Social Security payments are not, and much of our area and client base is elderly. What are your ideas? Yeah.
0: This is a this is a good one, and I'm I'm super excited to talk about it. I um for those of our listeners who don't know, I'm in Washington State, and uh, Seattle raised the minimum wage to fifteen dollars an hour a couple of years ago. And while we are in um, outside of the Seattle metro area, so that didn't apply to us, our state minimum wage has gone up dramatically. I think when I moved here, we were still under ten dollars an hour, and in the last Six years, it's gone up to almost fourteen an hour. So we're we're closing in there as well. And so I definitely can um, speak to it from the perspective of having gone through it. But it is it is scary. And the first thing that I will say is that um, if you are in an area where minimum wage hasn't gone up yet, you should still start planning for it because mm-hmm. if you try and wait until it actually happens to react to it, the impact from a business perspective is significantly more than if you come up with a plan and slowly work your way towards it, so.
1: Yeah, well, the other thing, too, is there is upward pressure from the rest of the country. Mm-hmm. So I'm in South Carolina, and minimum wage is $7.25. Yeah. Which is um, which ridiculous. is ridiculous, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, the fact that other states are going to $15, I, I believe that that is in the mind of people that work in South Carolina, you know, they, mm-hmm. they are looking around and going, OK, sure. this if nothing else is a comparison thing. Right. <laughs> when you're like, I make eight dollars an hour and somebody goes in my state, 15 is the minimum wage. You go, yep. oh, you know, and and, and I feel like that does apply upward pressure. You know, I was really interested in doing this episode today because a couple of weeks ago I did a Facebook live. I started doing those on Friday. And just mm-hmm. doing them for the Dr. Andy Work Facebook page, and I take questions from uh, from the Facebook page. And the, someone had asked me, they were like, uh, "What do you think is the future of wages for support staff?" Yep. And how do associate vets help support a living wage for our for our people? And I thought that was a great question, so so I took it, and I talked about things that we'll talk about here today. And then when I was done, I got a text message from one of my friends <laughs> and she is a practice owner and she is wonderful, but she was clearly, uh, affected by what I said. And what she said was, she was like, Hey, we do our absolute best to pay our staff. And, um, it's really hard with the corporates coming in and paying more and specialty hospitals coming in and paying more. It is really challenging for us to be competitive with those guys and keep our staff and, uh, I don't Mm -hmm. know how we – I I don't know how we continue to raise compensation to be competitive without pricing ourselves out of our pet owner market Mm -hmm. or making care unavailable to pet owners. Sure. And so it was just – that was the exact feedback that I got. So all these things are tied together, and I thought, okay – this, all of these things coming at once. Like this is a, this is a sign that we need to really sort of unpack this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm excited to talk about it from that perspective of as well, having experienced the majority of my career in private practice and then having the, you know, left practice full time. And uh, for my, for my role with Uncharted, my last practice was a corporate practice. And so I'm excited to to speak to that because I hear, have heard that a lot so often I thought it myself for a long time in private practice, like we just can't compete with the corporates. And the question that I never stopped to ask myself for the longest time was, well, how are they doing it? Because I think people in private practice have this illusion that there's this corporate money tree that just shake and the money falls out. And that's how these things get paid for. And it's, and it's not. And so I'm excited to talk about that from, from the positive perspective in terms of what lessons can we learn? What what things can we look at whether you're private practice you're nonprofit or you're corporate like how do we how do we look at some of what other businesses are doing within our own industry and outside of our industry and um, look at this on more of a long term perspective in terms of how do we fundamentally change some of the structures and foundation of our our business because we're we're going to have to yeah
1: no i i agree all right let's go ahead and start let's go ahead and start Unpacking this because okay. there's a lot to unpack here. So yeah, let's start with that. All right, first thing we need, I think the first thing we need to talk about is is wages in America. Uh, <laughs> I think I think we need to start there. And so yeah. let's lay a backdrop of why this conversation is happening and and why it's coming about. Uh, the truth is, when we look at real wages, they have been stagnant in this country since basically the 1970s. So when you look at what people actually take home, and you factor in inflation. People basically take home the same that they took home twenty, thirty years ago. Right. There really just has not been upward upward movement in 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 real wages. But then you look at the cost of health care and things like that, uh, and colleges. Uh, those things have really soared. Yes. So that's problematic. And I just I say that just because I don't want people to think this is a vet medicine problem. I don't think that it is. I think yeah. it's a worker in America. Uh, problem and Absolutely. Uh, and i know we have a lot of canadian people that listen as well i'm assuming it's probably similar uh similar there but yeah so the first thing is i don't think this is a vet medicine problem of stagnant wages i think this is a national problem of stagnant wages mm-hmm. i was um i was talking to some friends and they uh, and we were talking about sort of practice culture and appreciation and, and things. And uh, they were saying, you know, when you look at the research that's come out recently about technicians and what makes them feel valued and appreciated in their job. Well, regardless of the source, because there's been a number of these um, income uh, wages is the number one thing. Yeah. And they were really bummed out about that. And and because they were like, oh, is it really about money? Is that really, is that, is it re- <laughs> surely, surely money can't buy happiness and they know that. And, um and I was surprised that they were surprised and I get it because I'm very much a positivity person and, and, sure. you know, culture, 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 it really does matter. And, and I I'd, I'd stand by what I say is we're not generally here for the money. That's not what attracts our people to, to vet medicine. All of that said, um, uh, money is like oxygen. Uh, the only time you notice it is when you don't have it. And there is research on on money making people happy. And the research says the takeaway people have is money does not make you happier. But if you actually look at the research, what it says is once your basic needs are met, then right. money doesn't make you happier. And, um, you know, the research that I've seen is sort of the, the standard on it. It generally showed, and this uh, there's so much variation in what this means and where you live and blah blah blah. But you know, their research was somewhere around sixty thousand dollars. People sort of started to level off as far as the happiness that they had with the money, and that surely that surely changes depending on where you live and all that sort of stuff. I, I put that number out. The only reason I put it is because it's it's some sort of a tangible number you can hold on to to be like this is basically kind of what it costs to live and 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 have you know, have your basic needs met and not worry about your rent or things like that. And so that's, that's, that's sort of what was put forward is, um, until if you, it is hard to feel appreciated by staff lunches when you're worried about being able to pay your rent or put food on the table for your family. Like that's just the truth of it.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the interesting part to me about the conversation you're having with your friends is that I think a lot of why they're surprised by that is because for a really long time in our industry, people didn't speak up about the money. When we talked to the staff about why veterinary medicine, whether they were a doctor or a technician or a CSR or kennel staff, part of what drew everybody to this field is the patient care and the emotional satisfaction. And for a lot of people for a long time, the, the model made that something that they were willing to give that as an answer for the number one. And there have been a lot of shifts in the world and in veterinary medicine, um, certainly in the time that I have been in veterinary medicine that have created change And also have kind of opened the door to the much needed conversation that just because we care about animals, just because we love our jobs, just because we're passionate about our jobs does not mean that we don't also need the ability to take care of ourselves, to take care of our families and live um, a life, not one of extravagance, but um a basic life where we don't have to work two plus jobs to make yeah. ends meet at the end of the month
1: right yeah i I, com- I completely agree so anyway i think that that is i think that that is true i think that is the reality of our of our nation and and, and also our culture uh and and i don't i don't think we talk our way out of this you know what i mean i don't yeah. think that we do appreciation programs that take away the idea that our staff needs to make a living wage, meaning they need to, I mean, these are skilled people that work their butt off. Like Mm -hmm. they need to be able to pay their bills and subsist. And that's just, it's not, it's not bad. It's not good. It's just, to me, it's, it's just, it's just being reasonable like that. Mm -hmm. That's like, that's all there is to it. So, yeah. Anyway, I, I so I just laid that down as a background, and again, this is not a vet medicine problem specifically. This is a this is a a human being problem, I think. So, yeah. Anyway, that that's where we've been, and so that's why we're starting to to get some of these conversations that that pop up. I think I'm optimist. Well, I just say I'm optimistic for support staff for the future. And I do think that these wages are going to come up. I think they are coming up, and I think that they will continue to come up. And there's a couple of reasons that um, that that is that I'm so optimistic, right? So the first one is uh, I think that there is really is a focus on income inequality, and then also raising minimum wage right now. Mm-hmm. As states talk about going to fifteen dollar, people are talking about what does it mean to have a living wage, right? Um, and then as we talk about income inequality, we say, well, you know, look at look at how the richest of the rich live, and then look at the, the uh, lower class or the lower middle class and sort of, and sort of how, how they live. And so I think that there's a lot of attention there and I think that that is a good thing and that it is applying upward pressure on wages. I think that we're in a place where people are really thinking about, hey, our income as a nation has really stagnated for 99% of us. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we, need to, we need to break through and, and lift that up. I think it's good for uh, support staff, especially technicians, uh, because there's a shortage of trained labor, you know, uh, supply and demand. It is, it is really hard to get uh, skilled technicians. It's really hard to get skilled CSRs. Like the labor market is so hot. Uh yes. we're competing against other vet practices. In the case of CSRs, uh, we're we're competing against other industries. You know, the yes. dental office would love to have your receptionist. Um, and so I think that that's good because it also again applies upward pressure. The competition is supposed to kind of. Uh, drive wages. And so I think that that's, that's an upward pressure as well. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of new opportunities for our support staff. Um, I think that there is um, there are things like uh, house call practices, mobile practices, things like that that didn't used to exist, where maybe one doctor and one assistant will go and they'll do a concierge practice and they'll go from house to house and they will just see their clients or they'll do home hospice and maybe a doctor and a single assistant or a CSR uh, you know, who helps support them out on the road or, uh, or a trained technician goes with them. But it's a very small little group, but they have a low overhead and they work together. Right. And th- I think there's a potential for, for, you know, higher wages there. And you have a smaller team, but you can sort of pay them more. I think telemedicine is good for, uh, especially for licensed credentialed technicians. I think Absolutely. you're going to see more uh, sort of check-ins with them, recheck appointments, things like that. Uh, relief tech work. Is a new job that I've seen uh, a number of people kind of picking up in the last couple of years. I I see huge potential there uh, of oh, yeah. being a technician who works for work for yourself, you know, and and set set your rate of what you're going to get paid for a day. And you can step in at places when another tech goes on vacation, somebody's is shorthanded and you control your schedule and you control your fees. And I, I yeah. can see, a, I can see a lot more people doing that type of work and doing well. The virtual CSR uh, communication work is new. You know, we talk a lot with, uh, companies like Guardian Vet, who who I like a lot, they um, you know, they have credentialed technicians that will pick up the phone for other practices after hours. And they yeah. do some basic teletriage and tell people you need to go to the emergency clinic or we can book you in for tomorrow. But those are jobs that didn't they didn't exist. The the industry overall is, uh you know, vet industry, pharma companies, things like that. Look for credentialed technicians and I don't know. I just, I feel like there's a lot of opportunities outside of practice or in different versions of practice that are pushing wages up. And the last thing I would just say is corporations have been good for support staff as far as wages and benefits go. Yes. You know, like that has, that has been a, they have really driven the competition because the the corporations generally rolled up and they they have benefits or they have you know yep. they have um, higher pay and that's how they that's how they're trying to get talent and so I think they push a lot of the independent practices uh, to to really stretch to try to compensate people so I, I think that that's as we've seen corporates grow in our in our industry at least that part of that expansion I, I think is good uh, yeah. at least it's good for the tax.
0: Yeah, I I would agree. I think it's I think it's good for the majority of the team all around. And and to your point about um the opportunities that exist now, I think it's really really exciting because you know when I when I started in practice sixteen years ago, like if you weren't in full time practice, your choices really um were a sell uh, to be a sales rep like that that it was very narrow view of what your options outside of clinical practice were and i feel like the options now are so expansive and covid has has pushed us in a really good way in this last year and a half to open up our eyes even further to the possibilities um and now we have we have practices friends of ours have practices where they have taken the idea of you know it being an option in our industry, and turned it into something that could be an option within our own individual practices, which is something I absolutely love. Because just like within our practice, there's a flavor for every client. There's a there's a flavor and an option for every person out there within our field. So you know, people who enjoy um, working in the structure of a bigger business have an opportunity to work with some of the bigger companies and people who enjoy the structure of a, of a small independent brand kind of company now are starting to have options for that as well, which is super exciting to me. Yeah.
1: I know. I completely agree with that. The, uh, you know, the truth of all of this is as people are starting to listen, uh, to where we're going you know, life is messy and, uh, there's a lot of these things that are good for some people and not good for other people. And they're good in some ways and not in other ways. And they work in some places and not in other places as we talk about this. Right. And so I'm yep. not saying that industry jobs are going to pop up everywhere. And if we have texts that they go, yay, uh virtual CSR work, and then that's hard on practices that don't have those people in the practices. Like, and I just, I yep. just want to be uh, just candid about that is go, well, don't think that, that this is going to be, there's an outcome that's going to be good for everyone. It's not. It's going to be a mixed bag as life tends to be.
0: Well, and I think one of the things too, and I'm going to step on the soapbox for a a minute here, is I think this is where um, the bad news is, is that I could see a lot of people looking at this and saying, I can't possibly compete with that. And there is a tendency amongst people that I am friends with and that that I know very well and love dearly, who I've had this discussion with, who who fall into the victim trap of, mm-hmm. well, I'm just an independent practice and I just can't compete with that, and they hang their head and it's the woe is me, and they they don't. That's where it stops The conversation stops, and right. the the reality is, if we can we can create a ton of different options and variety and opportunity within our own practices, but in order for that to happen. We have to stop playing the victim and stop saying, this is all corporate's fault. They've ruined everything, which is right. kind of the general mentality. And we have to start thinking about how do we look within our own industry and outside the industry at other solutions and think outside the box. Yeah. And so no, the, the change really has to start with us.
1: No, I I completely agree with that. You know, the, the, the truth is um, the growing pains we're going through now as far as wages and support staff. They're a good thing in the long term. Yes. The, the truth is, where we're going, we have got to reduce the loss of skilled people from our profession, and that, that includes veterinarians. But, but yeah, we we really are. I mean, we bring in, uh, you bring in certified vet techs, and they, you know, they've gone through and they've gotten credentials. They invest in the school and they practice five years and they leave, and that's that's dumb. And that's you know, especially when you look at how overwhelmed we are and how hard it is to get trained people. Having these uh, trained people leaving our profession in droves. It's not sustainable. It's not good for our profession. It's not good for any of us, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, diversity and inclusion. Uh, we have the one of the widest professions out there, and people talk about wanting to increase diversity. I think that's really, really important. I don't know how to do it when you're offering uh crappy wages, you know what I mean? And just yeah. say, I don't you won't be able to support yourself in this profession, but we really uh, want to become mm-hmm. more diverse. So come on. Like, that's not an inspiring that's not an inspiring uh sales pitch to bring no. to bring fresh faces into our profession we need fresh faces in our profession we 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 want to grow and diversify and and um and mirror the people that we serve like we've got to make a better value proposition it cannot be hey we're made up entirely of people who at age nine decided this is what they wanted to do and held on to that dream and yeah. no one else is here because uh, because the numbers don't make any sense like that's not a sustainable pass forward so if you yep. want uh, increased diversity and inclusion we we've got to we've got to make a more um enticing offer to people to come and work in our profession. Right. And the the other thing is the shortages of veterinarians are not going away. Uh, we, we, we don't have enough veterinarians and, uh, we got to get this work done. And so again, we have got to figure out how to bring people in, leverage them, use them and retain them to help get this work done because our caseload is bonkers and we are just, you know, we've got a fixed number of vet schools and they're turning out fairly small classes and uh, we're we're not going to produce veterinarians at a, at a rate anytime soon that is going to reduce this workload down where it needs to be, which means we've got to have support staff that we can leverage to get the work done. And that's a big driver.
0: Especially when we think about the impact of I mean, we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg with the impact of all of the COVID pets, too, right? Like that's that's something that I don't think a lot of us are thinking past. I think a lot of us are still overwhelmed, and rightly so, with just getting through the day, um, mm-hmm. right? You know, right now, as we're still in the middle of the the pandemic and all of the shifting change. But if we take a second to zoom out and think about the long term the effects of this is something that we are going to feel for years to come as an industry, because now all of these COVID puppies that we've been dealing with and the COVID kittens that we've been dealing with for the last, you know, 16 months, those are going to turn into two-year-old pets and then five-year-old pets. And now we're going to have a huge increase for the mid to later life things. Um, All of the all of the torn cruciates, all of the dentistry needs, all of those things that come later in life. I think a lot of us are still looking at it through a very narrow lens of how do we get all these patients in for wellness care right now? And how do I fit one more puppy plan into my schedule? Because we know that it's a 12-week commitment, but I think we have to start thinking longer term about that because that's not something that's just going to go away. We don't miraculously see all the puppies and kittens and then don't have to deal with that increase in pa- in patients, um, you know, for years down down the road.
1: Well, it's a good thing that the fix is so easy. Um, we just we just significantly raise the prices. Like that's, I mean, come on, <laughs> how hard is that? Like, like, bam, we got more business than we can do. Uh-huh. We are not paying our people enough. Uh huh. Um, this is a no-brainer. Like Let's you just, just supply price. and demand. And boom, three hundred percent increase in prices. Done. Go yeah. into the bar.
0: I mean. That's a, that's a choice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, so there's, there's the rub, right? And, and, and that's, that's where, that's where the pain comes from. And, right, and the pain comes from the fact that we have good people running vet practices who care. Like yep. our profession, we desperately want people to get care. Like I go into the exam room every other day. And uh, a little old person looks at me and tells me that they're on a fixed income yep. and this is their best friend. And I see it all the time. And yep. I just have to tell you guys morally, I want to help that person. Yep. And I, I think that little old person, um, I think they should have a little companion, (laughs) you know? I just, that's the thing that I, that that would scare the heck out of me is being 89, 90 years old, living kind of by myself, you know, uh, or in a little uh, retirement community and not having anyone to talk to or be with. And like, oh my God, give me, give me a little, give me that little companion dog. You know which one I'm talking about. Like, you know, the, the, the the little friend, give me the little friend. And I want that person to have that little friend and and so that's, that's why we end up in this place too. Like, you know, Stephanie, if we sold and repaired jewelry, this would be real easy. You know what I mean? Like, we're just like, Hey, we don't have enough people to handle all this business. Right. We're going to ratchet the price up. And sure. if you can't pay to have your jewelry repaired, I'm going to sleep okay at night.
0: Right. Um, well, you know? Yeah. Cause you're not talking about a, a living, breathing thing and you're not talking about the emotional, um, companionship and attachment, mm-hmm. right? Are, it's like, uh, yes, even if it was um, a beloved piece of jewelry, I might cry if I couldn't get it fixed, but it's not the same as having to make potentially, um, you know, life altering decisions that involve a family member, which is how right. all of those clients that we serve, who are that, you know, 80 year old woman who's staring up at you and this is her best friend. Like that's, it's not, it isn't black and white like that. It isn't um, right. objective in any way, shape or form. It is purely emotional.
1: Yeah. We, I mean, we put ourselves in a hard spot by celebrating the human animal bond the way that we do. You know, we, we you know, we talk about the human animal bond and how important it is. Yeah. Um, And that kind of puts us in a place of being like, well, are you going to make the human animal bond only available to people who can afford a certain, uh, a certain price tag. Yeah. And, and I think most of us, I think most of us really morally wrestle with that. Yeah. So, so what do we do is the question that my friend really put to me, you know, and says, well, how do we, how do we handle this?
0: I don't know if we can dive into how we handle it without taking a quick break. I need to gear up for this one, man, because this is, this is a, this is a big chunk.
1: Okay. That sounds good. Let's take a little break. Hey guys, just wanna jump in here real quick with some exciting updates. Got a lot of stuff going on. On August 14th, from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. Pacific Time, that's a half day, Sanani Rotnayaka is doing a workshop for Uncharted called Secret Sauce to Optimizing Workflow. If you think your practice could flow more smoothly, Uh, it probably can. And Sonani is an amazing lecturer. She's one of my favorite people. She does a lot of workshops for Uncharted. She's really great. If you've never seen her present before, you're missing out. If you have seen her present before, then you know that I'm not exaggerating when I say she is awesome. So this is an active workshop. Jump in, uh, learn about your practice in a way that you can actually use and make some changes. That is August 14th. On August 18th, just a couple days later, I am doing a workshop. It is my 12 steps to critical conversations. That's right. I'm gonna walk you through hard conversations. This is a workshop, so you're gonna see me work on the fly. We are going to make up situations right there. I'm gonna take them from the audience. I'm gonna work with you guys, so this is not gonna be like, hey, here's a perfectly set up situation for me to have a hard conversation in so you can watch. No, that's not how life works, right? We are gonna work together on real stuff that comes from you guys, and we're gonna talk about how to break it apart. I've got 12-step program that I use to walk through these things just to check myself before I wreck myself, and, uh, you know, that's 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 what we do. So that is going to be on August 18th. It is free to Uncharted members. It is $99 to the public. Put links for that as well as for Sonani's workshop down below. And the last thing is the Charming the Angry Client course over at DrAndyWork.com is on sale now. Uh, grab a copy. It is a robust training course for vet teams. You can uh, put them through a half-day workshop if you want. You can just do a, a hard hour if you want to make a staff meeting on just handling angry and complaining clients or it's all modular you can break it up you can do 10 minutes uh, at the end of your regular staff meetings for god like six months probably uh anyway there's tons of stuff there but it's all very flexible It's being it's made to be used however you want to use it anyway uh, links for all that stuff below check it out head over to uncharted vet to learn more about uncharted or dr andy for dr andy Rourke. let's get back into this all right so let's talk about what we do with this before we do uh i, I want to I want to explain something, I guess, that, that I think is important when people, when independent practices talk about the corporates and sort of says, well, this is, this is unfair and they can do things that we can't do. I think a lot of people go, well, why don't you just do what they do? And I do want to stop and, and, and just point out for people who are not familiar, um, there are some advantages that corporate practices have over independent practices hmm. when it comes to finance that we should just put on the table and be clear about. Yes. Uh, one of the big ones is, is buying power. Yes. When you buy for 700 hospitals, you get better prices than when you buy for one. You know, it's the difference in buying wholesale versus buying retail, mm-hmm. you know, for it just is. And so the um there and there are some things like buying groups and things that have sprung up to try to help independent practices sort of compete, but the big corporate groups, they get things, resources at a, at a lower price. Especially if they have their own diagnostics or even diagnostic deals um if you if you have a corporate group and they have their own lab, think about how much money that clinic spends sending things out to the lab Well yes. all that money stays in house now, and so there are there are things like that in corporate groups that can be really really valuable yeah. um and so it it is it is just it's it's not comparing apples to apples when you say, well, the independent practice, you just pay what the corporate practice does. It, those those dynamics are a bit different. Mm-hmm. And so I just want people to to know overall, like those aren't apples to apples. There there are certain different challenges for independent groups. I will tell you, I am very bullish on independent vet practices. I think that there's a lot of things that they can do. I think it's uh, they're going to get pushed to keep up with the corporates yep. as far as benefits and salary. But I, I think that, that they're going to make their way. Um, and so that's that's kind of what I want to talk about now. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. They're, so <laughs> I need to give a couple disclaimers here. I don't believe that our profession is going to move together in lockstep on this. Okay. I don't believe that there is an answer. It's like, here's what our profession will do. I think those days are over. And I think you're gonna see fragmentation of our profession and a lot of people doing things differently and practicing in very different ways. And so, so let me just say that up front. So I'm gonna lay out some stuff, but I want you to know I'm not saying that every practice will do all of these things. Um, and I think that, that it will look very different depending on who's using it. The other thing is, I wanna say again, I'm not putting these things forward saying, Andy Rourke says this is what we should do. Right. I'm saying this is what I think is gonna happen. Um, and it's going to be good for some people and it's going to be not uh, the best for other people. And there's going to be some things that are great for you and some things that are not great for you. And that's, if you think about your life, that's how it tends to right. go again <laughs> and again. And so let's just get into a realistic headspace. All right. Those are my disclaimers here. Here we go. When we talk about how practices move forward and, and pay people higher wages, there are four levers. Okay. That you can pull. Okay. So the first thing that we can do is we can increase efficiency, meaning we can see more cases. And there are ways that we can see more cases. So mm-hmm. we keep our prices the same. Yep. And we push through more cases. How do we do that? That is generally leveraging our technicians. Yes. People have talked for a long time about technicians as dental hygienists, meaning you go to the dentist and you work with the hygienist and then the dentist comes in and goes, Hey, there you go. All right. See you later. Right. Yep. Um, and, and that type of leveraging of, of technical support to see more cases Mm -hmm. now that we've got curbside and people are not even really tied to the number of exam rooms they have, but they can have pet owners stay in their car and still work cases. Like there are, there are cases to be made for efficiency in ways that we can see more cases, uh, and push things through leveraging our, technicians. There's also things like telemedicine, things where you say, hey, we're going to have telemedicine appointments. We're going to do recheck appointments online and we're just going to line them up and we're going to do 12 of them in in an hour and people get 10 minute slots and bang, bang, bang. We're just going to have a recheck hour and everything gets rechecked by one doctor online in an hour Mm -hmm. and we we just knock them out. But there are things where you say, how do we we push efficiency? There's a There's things like um, shorter appointment times. You know, there are things like vaccine clinics, stuff like that, where people say, hey, we're going to get them in. We're going to do this minimal thing. We're going to get 10 minutes with a doctor and we're going to turn them out. And there's a lot of people who push back against that and say, well, I don't like that. That's not the style of medicine I want to practice. And I don't think that all practices will practice that. But I do think that there are some that probably will. Yeah. And I think that as other practices adapt in different ways, there's going to be a need for low cost healthcare that still is able to pay its staff. And I think you're going to see high volume practices. We already see high volume practices, Mm -hmm. but I think you're going to see high volume practices uh, that are meant to meet that need. And then also, I think you're going to see high touch practices that are leveraging technicians to increase their own efficiency Mm -hmm. uh, in a in a less um, revolutionary way
0: absolutely i so. yeah i think I think that that's totally true, and I think when we when it comes to increasing efficiency as well, leveraging the technicians that we do have um the credential technicians that we do have is so so key because when you look at human medicine, you look at dentistry, you're spot on and you like the both both industries leverage their licensed paraprofessional staff in a way that allows them to do the thing i mean i i have to think long and hard about the last time I went for a doctor's appointment and I actually saw my MD. Like I see a nurse practitioner for 90% of what I go to the doctor for. And when I see my specialist, I see a, a, an MD or a specialty doctor. Most of us are used to that model of care. And so I think starting to look at, and there's there's a lot of conversation in veterinary medicine about, and has been for a long time, about why don't we look at that and why don't we create some diversity in the tiers of experience and training and education that we have for our team and so under underneath leveraging the technicians i think we need to start to think more broadly about can we have education and training beyond just a licensed credentialed technician we have the vts obviously but um within general practice is there something we can do to create another tier in there and below that, are there things that we can do to create um, skilled staff at a at a lesser uh, level than a licensed, fully licensed technician that will help us leverage the teams that we mm-hmm. do have in our in our hospitals?
1: Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. So, increased efficiency is is the first lever, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, n- lever number two is we can reduce other costs if we uh, if we can get other costs down. Yep. Then we can shift and keep our and keep our revenue where it is. Then we can shift uh that revenue over to our people. Yep. I I was spent some time in the Netherlands. I was over there lecturing and I went and and visited a number of hospitals that are in the Netherlands, right? Mm-hmm. And so the ne- Netherlands is a um sort of democratic socialist type country. They you know, uh, high benefits, uh high taxes. Uh, It costs a lot to employ someone in the Netherlands compared to the United States. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting because their practices are wildly different than ours. Mm -hmm. And it really comes down to how much you have to pay to have an employee. And what I saw there was that you don't tend to have a lot of big practices that have a lot of support staff and a lot of doctors. You had some. You had some. Uh, and you know there may be one or two in a in a town, maybe, but mostly what you saw was a single to two doctors, and then they had one to two technician nurses, and maybe an assistant. And there was no front desk. Mm-hmm. You know they handled the phones and they and they passed between them. But they had a, they had a tiny little office, and they would you know send all their all their lab work out, and they had an X-ray machine. And that was it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they just had a small little outfit and they spent very little on other things um, other than on salaries. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about, about decreasing costs, again, this is one of those things where I said this could be good for some people and not for other people. This can be great if you're if you're one of the people who stays on with the practice. It's it's not so great if you're one of the people who gets downsized as uh, mm-hmm. as practices get smaller to sure. control costs. So... Another example of of this type of practice I see a lot is concierge practice, you know, and we're seeing people now who are saying, I'm going to take a thousand clients or 300 clients or 500 clients, you know, and they're going to and I'm they're going to have my cell phone number and I'm just going to take care of them and their pets Mm -hmm. and they're going to pay me every month. And yep. and I'm gonna have a, I'm gonna have an assistant or I'm gonna have a, a technician and it's just gonna be the two of us and we're gonna go house to house and take care of this and we'll both make a good living. Uh mobile practices that way, right? When you don't have to pay for a building, uh your overhead is a lot is yeah. a lot lower.
0: Yeah. And I think I think it's been cool because we have uh we have friends that I've made through through uncharted and I have been um, my eyes definitely opened to the Different ideas, and this is what I was saying earlier about thinking outside the box. Um, When I look at some of their practices and some of the cool things that they they are doing, I sit back almost every single time and go, "I never would have thought about that," and and Mm. I love it. I love that energy. And this this is this is where the independent practices have the flexibility because there's nobody at a corporate office telling them no. Right, they can think outside the box, they can dare to dream big in ways that um someone within the framework of a bigger company absolutely cannot, and so I love seeing us capture that excitement and enthusiasm for outside the box models and ideas,
1: yeah, I think another place that we're going to see prices go down for vet clinics is is going to be in the pharmacy in the coming yeah. years right yeah, I, I I think yeah, I went into um Publix, which is the big grocery Mm -hmm. store chain in our area, Mm -hmm. and there were flyers next to the door about get your pets' medicines here. And uh, it was a little brochure, and it just had a list of all the medicines they carried. It was basically our farm. It was basically our pharmacy, you know. They and 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 they were just putting it out like we have all your pets' medicines here. I think a lot of, I, I think that we will keep. I think we'll keep some of our pharmacy. Uh, there's research on the human side of medicine that says that compliance for humans is much higher when they get the medicine at the point of care. They're yes. much more likely to fill that antibiotic prescription and things like that. I do think there are yes. medical benefits to our patients of us putting the medicine in their hand, especially if they acutely need it. Yes. Um, so I, I think that that will stay. I think uh, our parasiticides, um, I, I think we have good ways of, sort of keeping those in-house. I do think, though, you know, the truth is, you know, we have clients who come in and they have a certain budget. They have a certain amount that can that we can see um, or the, that they can spend. Uh, I do suspect that in time, what is going to happen is that we are going to end up shifting that budget to services where we have high margins and we make real money on our time and our knowledge and our diagnostics. Yes. And we'll end up sending them out the door with more prescriptions for them to go and fill somewhere else. Yes. So for example, um from a business standpoint, if we have a pet that comes in with a skin infection and the owner has um $150, we're better off working that case up and doing some skin cytology or tape preps or whatever, you know, and, and actually doing diagnostics and doing a good workup and then sending them out the door with a script for cephalexin or for yes. whatever. Then, then we are not working that case up and sending them out the door with an antibiotic that we have to pay a lot of money to put on our shelves. It um, has very little margins on. So from a business standpoint, us, if they've got a certain amount of money to spend, them spending it with us for our diagnostics, for our services, for our knowledge, for our insight, that's a lot better business model than it is for us to sell products instead. And so I don't know, I, I think the pressure from outside is going to make that battle harder. And while I'm not at all for giving up the pharmacy. I do think it goes that way, but I don't know that people getting medications outside of our practices is going to mean that their invoices are going to go down.
0: Well, and that's, that's the thing, right? Like that's the big fear for, for everybody. And it's, it's interesting because, um, I guess I have been a a rebel in, um, in clinics in this area for for years now, and all of the, the all of the arguments that people have given me about, um, you know, our, our revenue is going to go down. we the bills are going to get smaller. We're going to lose all of this stuff. When you actually do the data analysis and you look at it, it's not only is it not true, but um, it has been proven effective time and time again that we actually generate more revenue when we stop worrying about that and we stop putting the holding costs onto our shelves and the time costs into our staff. To, to deal with some of that inventory stuff and it, it's a it's a catch-22 right because inventory in our practice serves a great purpose and like you said Andy we know that if we can treat a patient right there and be able to pro- provide a medication whether you know it's um, it, it doesn't there's a million different things that we that we can treat but we can also do that fairly simply We don't need a massive pharmacy on our shelf to treat those need-based things. And I think we've we've seen that with food in our practices here in the states. For for a lot of us, um you know when I started in veterinary medicine, we had massive amounts of food on our shelves, all different types, all different manufacturers, all different bag sizes. And um I it's been 10 years that I've worked in a practice that didn't just have the small need-based foods on the shelf. So the acute diets for the vomiting and the, the the GI diets and, you know, maybe some of the small allergy stuff when we have a patient where we just want to get them help now. But there's a small, very small handful of that stuff. And I think it's the same way with, with medications when we really look at it and we look at what are those products that we turn constantly because patients are truly in need of them. When we focus on that and then we shift our focus to um, the second tier of that being what are the things that we can do as a service that also provide tremendous value and relief for the patients? I think about things like, or to your point, um, you know, parasiticide control, where we're doing injections and things in the practice that are that are service based, but mm-hmm. still, you know, get, provide immediate support and/or relief for the patients. Focusing on those things drives the revenue in an exponential way. And I I really hope that as an industry, this is something that I've watched people argue with me and with people who are much smarter than me for years and years and years. And it just makes me really sad because I feel like we're our our own worst enemy when it comes to this discussion and argument because I've seen practices get out of their own way. And when we shift that revenue off of the shelves and shift it to the support staff and leveraging the team and being more efficient and functional, it just benefits everybody, especially the patients.
1: Well, and, and the last part I would put onto that too is um, some of this is about breaking up uh, breaking up payments. And so let, let's go to yes. number three here. So yep. I said there was four, increase efficiency, reduce other costs. Uh, number three for me is payment options. Absolutely. It's breaking up payments. It's, it's saying, hey, you know, uh, we're going to send you to our online pharmacy or we're going to set you up with home delivery yes. and you're going to, you know, you're going to have a monthly fee and you're going to get your parasiticides in the mail every month, but you're not going to be spending that money right here today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, it's, it is just true. When you have pet owners that come in, they have a certain amount of money in their mind uh, or that, or that they think is reasonable. And uh, if you do everything today, you're going to blow that budget out. Um, and if, you split it up over months they tend to be just fine with it and yep. i i've never totally understood that mentality to me i just i want to know what it all costs and you know and it doesn't matter if i spend it now or, or over time like oh, it's ultimately it costs the same but i f- have found that i am kind of in the minority in that mindset and a lot of people are like nope just set me up with the monthly payment and that'll be just fine And so I I think uh, I think subscriptions, uh, payment plans, wellness plans, things that let people spread costs over time. I think that that is going to be a big way for us to um, to generate ongoing revenue and then also to raise our prices in a way that's not going to break the clients down. Um, You know, it it really is helping them pay for what we're going to need to charge in order to take care of our people.
0: Absolutely. And to to the point from the the mailbag, um, you know, I live in an area that is a retirement community and our senior citizen population is huge. And for the last six years, I have um, dealt with client, clients, probably every other client, if not, if not more than that, who comes in is on a fixed income. And the reality is they're, the majority of them are not asking us to do it for free. They're also not even asking us to do it for less money when we tell them what it costs what they wanna know is how can we help them pay for it? And yeah. and I think we, we sh- again, we laser focus in on the clients who do want us to do it for free and who are um, usually behaving badly about it and uh, resorting to the emotional blackmail because those are the clients who stick out in our mind, right? The client who says, well, if you loved pets, you would do this for free because I can't afford this. That's what sticks out for us. And the reality is the majority of the client's that isn't their mo, and they really just they they want to be upfront and honest. I'm on a fixed income, and so if you have the ability to say, "Great, we've got a, a wellness plan option where you can break up the payments over the next 12 months," I can probably count on two hands the number of clients who have still then had to turn that down. And so that the the impact of wellness plans and well wellness programs, um, in my own clinical experience has been phenomenal. And I was very, I was very um, closed minded to it for a really long time because I thought it's a pain in the butt. I don't want to deal with all of the administration um, and it, and it is hard, um, but there are so many options out there now that can make it individualized to our own practices and our own patient needs and also help the clients pay for it, which is what they want and what they're asking for. It's not that we're going to you know, offer substandard care because we're going to discount our medicine. That's not what it's about at all. It's about creating another opportunity and another tool to go in our toolbox that goes hand in hand with things like care credit or scratch pay or vet billing or other payment options that are out there where are, we are helping the clients then fund the care if they can't mm-hmm. solve the problem with just the monthly payment. But we have to start to look at how, how do we help those clients because we d- we don't tend to frame it that way but the reality is that is the majority of the clients out there is clients who are not asking us to do it for free who are not asking us to to change our cell medicine who just want to know how do we pay for this and being able to give them another option um has been tremendously ex- uh successful in my personal experience
1: yeah so payment options i think is number 3 we we've, we've got to if we're going to raise prices uh we've got to help people to make that possible because mm-hmm. they're just it's going to be very challenging for them to write bigger checks. Yep. Uh, and so I, I think there's there's huge potential for us here. And then that brings us to number four. and number four is just uh, the, the the obvious choice. Uh, it, it increased price. and at some point, you know, we say uh, is a hard choice, but at some point we have to pick between uh, our price as it is now, and providing for our staff. And I hate that we have to raise our prices, but the money's got to come from somewhere. And I don't believe that practice owners are hiding it somewhere, no. you know, and um, I don't think the greedy veterinarians are getting it. I'm looking at them and their student debt and, you know, like yeah. they're, they make less than pharmacists. You know what I mean? I, I don't think that there's a bad guy here. I think honestly, we, I don't think anyone's hoarding money away. I really don't. I think that we are trying to keep our services affordable for pet owners as the cost of medicine has gone up and up and up. Mm -hmm. And now we have honestly probably taken care of pet owners at the cost of our support staff. You know what I mean? Like we really have probably sold our people short trying to take care of pet owners. And God bless our people because they went along with it, you yep. know what I mean. Because they also wanted to, um, they also wanted to to support pet Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I I think that, um, to to your point, Andy, I think that uh, we can increase the cost than we need to. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to um, friends where when I find out what they're charging for things, I'm like, oh my god, you're actually losing money on that service. Mm-hmm. Like if if you actually just do the math, you're losing money. And and it really comes down to simple math equations, which is, you know, we don't have to we don't have to suddenly take a service that's twenty dollars and charge four hundred dollars for it. No. We need to be smart about this. And if we look at if we look at the services that are um our shop services, we have a buffer where we can probably increase the threshold a little. And the sheer quantity of how often we are doing those things should make up more than make up the difference for us in not jacking that price up. And then where we need to look is all of the things that um, we do have a, a significantly higher return of investment on and, and figure out how do we increase those, not all at once, sometimes all at once. Sometimes you look at something and you are so drastically undercharging it and you do that thing 10 times a year well those 10 people aren't necessarily gonna know when the price is now 200% right. more next year if they've never had it done so it's about being smart and looking at it from a from a math perspective and figuring out what is the best way to go about this but i think a lot of times so many of us look at it not from a business mind and we just get so laser focused on, I just have to jack all my prices up Yeah. and that we just, we just panic and we don't do it or we push that button and that's the worst button to push.
1: Yeah. No, I agree with that. There's uh, you know, I think a lot of practices struggle with pushback from their team on increasing prices. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting when you say, well, I'm trying to, I'm trying to pay you guys more. And, and then you say, well, and we're going to raise prices and they go, no. Right. And you go, yeah. But this is for you guys. Um, I think in order to do this, we have to have a candid conversation with our team. Yeah, you know, we, we have agree. to say, we have to share our why and be like, look, guys, this is where we are. And um, I uh, I was talking with uh, Dr. Dan Markwalder, uh, who's a vet in Chicago and a multi-practice owner. Uh, we did a, a VMX presentation together. And he said one of the things that had worked well at his practices is when he would do uh fee increases, he would increase staff salaries by the same percent. So if they did like a five percent fee Uh increase, he would try to give people five percent raises. And and he said the reason was it because it shows the staff that you really are trying to tie this to their compensation and that you are raising fees and that money is coming directly to them and they are a priority. And I, I thought that was just kind of a neat I need to sit with a little bit, but I, I, on first blush, I thought that was pretty interesting approach to kind of get them to buy in.
0: Well, and think about it. I mean, for so many of our teams and from a math perspective, like there's got to be an offset somewhere, right? So if you just, if you just give all of, if you increase the staff wages and increase your prices by the same percent, I, I don't, I don't know that that makes sense to cover the difference, right? Like usually you're increasing your, fees to help pay for staff costs. And if you're increasing the staff costs by the same percent, how does that work from a mass perspective? But but for so long, our teams looked at, at us increasing prices and their wages remaining stagnant back yeah. to the original part of this conversation, which is that they stayed stagnant for so long. And so there was a lot of emotional investment on the team's parts when it came to increasing prices, because that that was especially as a young team member i i will admit i was guilty of it myself at my first clinic looking at it and saying well they're increasing the cost to the clients but i asked for a and was told no you know i have had that yeah. conversation with my with with friends uh, in a, a and my peers in a practice, but also as the manager, having somebody ask me, well, how come I can't get a raise if we just increase the prices? And so I think that that is a conversation with the team. And I think we need to look at, um, we need to look at practicing a little bit of open book management and starting to have the team be aware of the costs of running a practice and some of those things so that when we do these things, they do actually understand how it benefits them. Because I think that's a missing component for a lot of practices as they just don't
1: understand. Yeah, I, I, I agree. All right. So that's it. Those are the four levers. Um, increase efficiency, reduce other costs, uh, payment options and, uh, increase the price. Mm -hmm. And as, as I said, I don't, this is not a roadmap. This is not a, what Andy thinks you should do. I think that you're going to see practices diversify by pulling different levers in different ways Mm -hmm. i think you are going to see some practices get smaller you're going to see some startup practices that are house call concierge practices that will have one one they'll have the doctor owner and it will have one employee and that person will probably have a pretty good job um you know it'll be interesting watching telemedicine stuff expand and um you know are there is there room in the practice acts or will there be room in the practice acts to help technicians do more to reduce the demand for healthcare is there a, a middle um, technician training certification program that would work mm-hmm. uh, the subscription are are, are you going to see more subscription based vet services yeah. uh, I, anyway i i i think that you will see people doing all of these things and you will see vet medicine diversifying you'll see shorter appointments and and more patients being seen at some places and then you won't see that at all at other places so Mm -hmm. anyway that's that's what i got that's that's kind of where i think this money comes from over time i think the truth is we'll all probably dabble in each of these and try to figure out where there's some wiggle room for us and what makes sense and um and it'll be a process like it always is
0: but i think uh the one resounding thing is and you can say well stephanie goss said this I, i think we can't continue to go forward and not and not address the wage uh, disparity with, with our teams. We, ha- we have to figure out how to pay our people more um, because yeah. I don't think that we will continue to exist as an industry, as a business, if we if we don't look at how, how many people are leaving the practice in, in such a short period of time as it stands now. And if we don't do something to stem the hemorrhage, we're not going to have a a business left to to defend. We have to figure out ways to be creative. And this is where I go back to what I said earlier. We have to think outside the box because jacking up the price is not, cannot be the only, the only answer, but I think it's something we're going to have to do. Yeah.
1: Cool stuff. Thanks for talking this through with me.
0: Yeah. Have a great week, everybody. See you gang. Well, that's a wrap you guys. Thanks so much for joining us this week. This episode is a really, really important one. I think it's grappling with hard questions like this and doing it together as a community that is going to make the difference for us because we can't do this alone. We have to think smart. We have to work together with our peers and collaborate on sharing ideas and best practices because we're headed for some hard times here in terms of balancing, taking care of our teams and balancing the budget and the needs of the business without it completely, um, decimating our client base, and without it impacting um, to the point where they cannot consider accepting our level of care from our clients. So thanks so much for listening in this week. As always, if you love this episode of the podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can either leave us a review wherever you find your podcast, or you can send us a note in the mailbag if there's something you'd like to talk about with us. If there is something you'd like to share with us or feedback, we'd love to hear it. You can always find the the mailbag at unchartedvet.com forward slash mailbag. Thanks so much, guys. Take care and have a fantastic week.